whose families are convinced they've been kidnapped and held secretly in North Korea, some for as long as thirty years. No recent event had triggered the article, no demonstration organised by the families, no anniversary, no new development in the case closed ages ago, if indeed it had ever been opened. It isn't clear at all why the article appeared yesterday rather than some other day, this year rather than some other year. Perhaps the journalist had run into a few people in the street, in a bar, whose relatives had simply vanished back in the seventies. To bear up under the torment of uncertainty, families had come up with a kidnapping story and then, much later, told it to a stranger, who was now telling it to the world. Was it plausible? Was there any evidence, if not proof, to support the claim, or at least a likely explanation? If I had been the newspaper editor, I would have asked the journalist to dig a little deeper. But no, he simply reported that some Japanese families believed their relatives had disappeared into prison camps in North Korea. Dead or alive, who could say? Dead, most likely, of hunger or beatings by their jailers, and if alive, they probably no longer at all resembled the young men and women who vanished thirty years ago. If they were ever found, what would one say to them? And they— what would they say? Should one even want to find them? The train sets out again through forests. No snow. The four soldiers have finally gone off to bed. There's no one left in the dining car with its flickering table lamps but Sasha and me. At one point Sasha bestirs himself, sits halfway up. His big rumpled head appears suddenly above the backrest of his banquette. Seeing me at the table writing, he frowns, I gesture soothingly in his direction, as if to say, go back to sleep. There's plenty of time. And down he goes again. Doubtless certain he's been dreaming. When I was a foreign aid worker in Indonesia twenty-five years ago, travellers used to pass around terrifying and mostly true stories about the prisons stuffed with people who'd been caught with drugs— In the bars of Bali, there was always some bearded guy in a sleeveless T-shirt going on and on about how he'd survived a close call that had left a less fortunate buddy serving a hundred and fifty years of slow death in Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur. One evening, after we'd been carrying on this way for hours with jaunty nonchalance, some guy I didn't know trotted out another story. Perhaps true, perhaps not. This was back when the Soviet Union was still around. When you take the Trans-Siberian Railway, he explained, you're strictly forbidden to get off along the route, to stop at a station to do some sightseeing, for example, and then get on the next train. Well, it seems that in certain backwater towns, near the railroad tracks, you can find exceptionally hallucinogenic mushrooms, or really cheap rare carpets, jewellery, precious metals, whatever, so sometimes travellers dare to ignore the rule. The train stops for three minutes in a little station in Siberia. Bit of cold, no town, just a bunch of huts— a sinister mud hole that looks abandoned. Without anyone's noticing, the adventurer gets off the train, which departs. Alone, he shoulders his pack and leaves the station, a platform of rotting planks, to flounder through muck and puddles, past wooden fences and barbed wire, wondering if the whole thing was such a good idea. The first person he meets is some sort of degenerate who, in a cloud of appallingly bad breath, delivers a speech in which all nuance is lost. The traveller knows only a few words of Russian, which might not even be what the wretch is speaking, but the gist is clear. He can't go wandering around like that. He'll get himself picked up by the police. Militia! Militia! 
Then comes a torrent of incomprehensible language, but thanks to some mimicry the traveller decides that the derelict is offering him shelter until the next train. It's not a very appealing prospect, but what choice does he have, and who knows, maybe he'll get a chance to talk mushrooms or jewellery. Following his host, he enters a disgusting hovel, heated by a smoky stove, where he finds a gathering of even more sinister characters. A bottle of rot-gut appears. They drink and stare at him while they argue, and the word militia crops up frequently, the only word he recognises, so, rightly or wrongly, he figures they're talking about what will happen if he falls into the clutches of the police. He won't get off with just a stiff fine, oh no. They laugh till they fall over. No, he'll never be seen again. Even if there are people waiting for him at the end of the line in Vladivostok, they'll simply decide he's gone missing, that's all. No matter how big a stink his family and friends make, they'll never find out, or get anyone else to find out what happened to him.